Good morning. <clears throat> Can't quite decide whether it's summer, winter, spring, somewhere in between, but I'm kind of liking it being cool again already after one week of a few hot days. I, I, I guess I'm just cool. I like cool stuff. Well, we're going to continue, our, we're doing a series on being the church, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians has a lot to say about what the church ought to be. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about something that's foundational to everything that we believe about Jesus Christ, and that's the idea of, of His grace. In order for us to, to really begin to grasp that, we've got to realize that there's a lot involved in, in, in what... Uh, grace entails in our lives. And there's a truth that all of us have to come to if we're going to ever accept grace as it's intended. And that truth is that uh, we have sinned. We have to face that. We have to face the idea that, that, that we have sinned. None of us are good enough to stand before God based on our own merit, <clears throat> in other words, on the things that we've done, that we've earned. We like to think that we are, and if you've ever talked to many people about their relationship with Jesus, and I'm sure you have as you go through your workaday lives and share with people and try to show them the love of Christ and help them understand exactly what Jesus did, they'll say things that they, they, they're good, they're good people, there's, a, there's even a, a theology out there of the good old boy. It's good, it's good enough. That's all we need to do. And I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with that sometimes. We get twisted up between what Jesus has done and what we can do. And so Ephesians has something powerful to say about this. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you know, most people are very familiar with that passage, but it goes on and it says this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. So some people find a real contrast here says that we're not saved by what we do, but yet we're called to do things that are good. And so we're going to talk about that today, try to unpack that a little bit, and think about what it really means to us in our lives. So what I think of grace, I think that grace is a gift that gives opportunity to us. Have you ever thought of grace as an opportunity? Well, it sure is. It's an opportunity to receive eternal life to start with. But there are many opportunities that come from that. It's a gift that brings the opportunity to be set free, to begin new, a new relationship with God Himself. So there's God, grace is what I call a multifaceted truth. It's like a diamond ring. If you look at a diamond ring, there's all these different facets on this ring, and there's a lot to see in a diamond, isn't it? That's why. Diamonds are a girl's best friend is what I've been told anyway. But the, the idea is that, that that ring is beautiful. What makes it beautiful? There's so much to it. 
It's not just one little solid stone. It's got all these facets, and it reflects light, and it's, it's beautiful, see? Grace is a beautiful thing. It's a truth concept. And concept, the idea of concept is to understand that there, there's more to what's being said than just one absolute that you can apply. Have you ever thought about that? Law, the, the Ten Commandments, is conceptual. There's ten of them, but they apply to other things. They can reach into other areas of your life. And so in the New Testament, we have two commandments, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That contains the Ten Commandments. It's, you see that. It's conceptual. It applies in many different ways. And grace is like that. What, what does grace do? Grace is, first off, a source of salvation. It's an attribute of God's nature. What, what is God's nature? We think of God as being love. That's what people talk about all the time. God loves us, and it's true. But there's the other side of God's nature, and that is God is holy. We talk about that a lot, but when you think of God, don't just think about God loves me. Think about God's holy, because that sets up a, a kind of a conundrum <laughs> if you think about it. He loves you at the same time that he wants to be pure himself, total, totally pure. He can't just ignore sin, in other words. It, it, it's something that we got to understand about God. But here's the thing. God desires to save us. Now, that's something that people don't always think about. They think, well, God is out to get us. Have you ever caught yourself thinking like that? You ever met somebody that thinks like that? God's out to get us, man. He's up there. He's looking down on us, and he's just waiting for us to mess up and so he can punish us. But that's not true. God is out to save us. And so the first thing that we have to understand about grace is that it's a source of salvation. The second thing, that grace is a system of salvation. It's different and opposed to any other law system because it's not a law system. It, it's not universal. Not everybody is going to receive grace, but everybody is offered grace. You see the difference. He died for all of us, but not everybody's going to receive it. But the law system is based on what you do. You keep track of your rights and you keep track of your wrongs. And, and at some point, there's a balanced system. If you do more good than you do bad, then you're going to go to heaven. And that's what many people believe. But that's not what the Bible teaches, that, that that's how it's going to work. And so we are different from any other, I hate to use the word religion or belief, in the world. Because it's based on God's grace. Very important to, to get a hold of that. That it, it's, a, it's a system of salvation. It, it, grace itself is what makes salvation possible. Without it, we will be lost. And so all of us have to face up to two facts about ourselves. One, we have sinned at some point, and that as a result, there's a debt that we can't pay. There's a debt that has to be paid, and that debt has to be paid by Christ himself. We're, we're going to talk about that as we go through this. 
In 1 John 3, verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is when we don't do what God asks us to do, when, he, when we go against what he teaches. The fact of the matter is that all of us have gone against what he teaches. I want you to think about your thoughts over the past week. I'm not going to share mine. <laughs> Anybody else want to share yours? Think about that. And then think about what Jesus says about sin when he talks about the sin of murder and adultery and all those things. He talks about those things being acts of your thoughts in your mind. That you could kill somebody in your own mind without actually performing it. See, that, that's, a, that's the fact. We have sinned. There's nothing, nothing to hide there. We've done that. We know we've done it. And so sin brings two additional problems. First off, it brings guilt. We can feel guilty. We, we, we are guilty before God apart from his blood. See, who changes us? Who makes us different? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And it also brings within us an inner conflict, a power struggle between uh, doing what we will to do and doing what God wills to do. You ever struggle with that? Man, I, I've, I've been in that trap many times where I, I, the, the Spirit of God to, flat out told me, don't do it this way. You know, the Bible says something a little bit different. And you say, oh, well, it'll be okay this time. And, and it doesn't work out very good, does it? That's your, our will going against what's right and what we know to be true. So Jesus is the one that offers a way out of this problem. But we have to have faith to accept it. We have to have faith to accept it. And, you know, the problem comes down to this. There's a debt to be paid for sin. It's a legal problem if you want to think about this. You know, we have several police officers in our church. When you guys give a ticket to somebody, you know, they can go down to the courthouse and somebody else could pay their ticket, right? The judge is not concerned if somebody else pays the ticket. He's concerned that the ticket's paid. Well, think about God. God is holy. And he's decided somebody else can pay your ticket, pay your debt. And that someone else is called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and died on the cross, who shed his blood to save us, and so don't think that God doesn't require a penalty for the sins that we commit, because he does. It's just that Jesus is paying it for us. And I know that's a pretty simple uh, way of contrasting it, but that's a way to think of it. Somebody else can pay your ticket for you. Judge doesn't care. Thing is, it has to be paid. If it's not paid, you've got to suffer the consequences. So it's a gift. It's offered if we can receive it. And we have to have faith to do that. I, I was reviewing a book, just so happens to be by Bob Russell, who spoke here last week. But I, it, it's, it's a good illustration of what I'm talking about. He's talking about a man named Paul Meyer. Paul Meyer is a, a man who made millions of dollars in the insurance business and in, in 
in the business himself and instructing others about how to do it. And, and he's a very uh, giving individual. He gives away half of his income to the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, he gives away so much money that he's used to, he had to hire a lawyer to keep track of how much he was giving away to make sure he wasn't giving away more than was coming in. That was his job, <laughs> okay? Don't get ahead of yourself. You, you might have to wait a month before you could do this, okay? That's, that's how much he gives away. So him and this lawyer decide they're going to go on a trip. And, and I'm going to pick up reading here. During that two-day journey, Paul Meyer offered to give 10 teenagers he met along the way a full scholarship to college if they'd just call him. Only one teenage girl believed him and took, a, took him up on the offer. She was working on the highway construction, wearing a protective helmet and holding up a stop sign. We've seen that a million times. While they waited for traffic to pass, Paul Meyer rolled down his car window and called her over Young lady, why are you working on construction, he asked. I'm trying to get enough money to go to college. She explained, I have a dream of being a nurse someday, but my folks cannot afford to send me to college. Paul handed her his business card and told her, Young lady, I'm in the business of making dreams come true. Call this number and I'll pay your way through college. He made nine other offers like, that one on that one trip. None of the others ever called. However, this next week, that girl who had been working on construction called and said to the accountant, last week some little old man, <laughs> some little old man said he would pay my way through college if I called this number. Could that be true? I want you to see that. Could that be true? He said, yes, ma'am, it's true. Her way was paid through college, and today she's a nurse in a Midwestern hospital. Could grace be true? Could it be true that God forgives our sin? That God sent his son to, to die for us, to wipe it out completely? It just seems too good to be true. And I think we struggle with it. I think we really struggle with the idea that God could really forgive me. That God really did offer Christ to die for me. That's grace. And that's faith. And that's the faith you have to have is to receive the fact that it's a gift. It's free. And God's offering it to us. But you know, grace is not a gift that's received without a commitment. There's, there's a distinction to make. Christ died for all mankind. But that doesn't mean that all mankind is forgiven of their sins without them coming to know Jesus. You see that there has to be someone who pays for their sin. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. It's not like when you go to a funeral, no matter how that person was, no matter how they acted or how they behaved, there's always something good to say. And I do it every time, and I will continue to do it. But the fact of the matter is, not all of us are going to go to heaven unless we accept what God says as true. 
grace is available to everyone, but not everyone is willing to receive it. All nine of those people could have gone to college, but it was too good to be true. And so they passed up the opportunity. Don't do that. Don't do that. Understand how much God loves you and cares for you. You know, uh, if we turn over to Acts chapter 8, we see, we see a discussion that's, that's going on between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch as they're traveling along. They're discussing, you know, uh, how, to, how to come to know Jesus and what it means to know Jesus. And, and, and he's having some trouble getting his head wrapped around all of this. And finally, he's convinced that, you know, this is true, that God, that God loved him and cared for him. And so we pick up in verse 36, and it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch were, went down into the water, and he baptized him. But notice this. What does it say? It says, if you believe with all of your heart. See, God's available to us if we believe with all of our heart. If we'll just accept what God says. And ah, it, it's, it's just tough to get your brain wrapped around it. It's, it's really hard to understand an infinite God who has infinite mercy and infinite love with a finite mind, with the human mind, to get a hold of it. So I think we struggle back and forth with, with this idea that, well, it can't be that simple. It can't be that easy. There, there has to be something done. So what we need to get a hold of here, secondly, is that grace is a gift that you will never be able to earn. And that's exactly what it says. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. There, there's no way for us to think that we're good enough. There's no way to think that we can earn it. First off, how can, how can you earn a gift? Ever thought about it like that? You know, when I was a little kid, my dad gave me a bike for Christmas. Well, I think my mom was in on it too. But what if I'd have said, hey, Dad, here's the money for the bike. My dad said, okay. All right, thanks a lot. That, that's, that makes it a lot cheap, cheaper. Would that be a gift then? No, that's not a gift. You can't, you can't buy a gift. Well, you could, depending on how selfish you are. Yes. If you want to buy yourself a, a gift for your birthday, go ahead. But we're talking about something different here. You can't buy the gift of salvation. There's been people that tried in the Bible to do it. But you can't do it. It's not something to be bought. Remember Simon the sorcerer? He wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy that. But see, it's a, it's a free gift. And when, when we become Christian, when we, when we turn to God, the first thing that God does is he gives us a gift of justification. It means that we're, we're just as if we never sinned is the easy way to think of that before God. He's not going to hold our sins against us, and we need to get a hold of it. Is it true? 
Is that too good to be true? See, have you ever thought about this? What can you do to take back a sin? I won't ask any of you if you've ever sinned because I know the answer. It's in the book. And I don't want to make any of you into liars. So I won't ask you. But how, how do you take a sin back? You can't. You know, you got to live with it. Now, you can be forgiven for it, and you can, and you can rebuild relationships or whatever, but, but that sin still is, exists. It took place. It has to be paid for, right? We can't take it back. You can't change it. You can't pay for it. Jesus has to pay for it. And I'm going to talk about me. It's, I know you shouldn't talk about you, but... You know, when I stole that bubble gum from the drugstore when I was eight years old, and I got away with it, I thought I did. I didn't get away with it. I just didn't get caught by my parents. When I stole that pumpkin from the neighbor's garden about a year later, I got caught. And my dad had wisdom, and he took me down there and made me knock on the guy's door and take the pumpkin back. But see, I did those things. Those things are sin. Those things need to be covered by the blood of Christ. And I've done a whole lot worse than that since then. But maybe you need to think about it. If the only thing you ever did was steal a piece of bubble gum, it still would separate you from eternity with God if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. You think, well, that's harsh. <laughs> that's holy. That's the purity of God. That's who he is. And so God is faithful to both his love and his holiness by sending Jesus Christ to offer us grace. Because the debt will be paid and holiness will be met. See, all of us can sit there and talk to ourselves and tell us, you know, well, I'm good. I do a lot of good things. Uh, you know, I'm not Adolf Hitler. Did Adolf Hitler have any good in him? Yeah, he did. We just like to hold him up as the example of the evil, but Adolf Hitler had some good things. You ever seen him playing with these German Shepherd in any of your videos or anything? Or do any of you care that Adolf Hitler ever lived? <laughs> I hope you care. <laughs> we don't want to go there again. But, it, yeah, he loved his dog. His dog loved him. I see him out there throwing stuff for him, the dog bringing it back, jumping up on him, licking his face. See, he had some good things, just like anybody. We can't look at it like that. We're not good enough. And so we have a lifelong process that we go through and to learn to grow closer to God and to be more like God. And that's what we should do, and that's what we're called to do. And, and that's really what verse 10 is talking about. So it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. And so God gives us stuff to do. Not to earn our way to heaven, but to help others maybe see the way to heaven. Not to be called a good guy, 
but to help to somebody to know that there are people that care about them, that would do something for them, that would sacrifice for them. See, these things were created for us to do. When we became a Christian, that wasn't the end of it. That was the beginning of it. That's when we begin to realize, you know what? I'm going to serve you, Lord, because I love you. I'm going to serve you because it's right. I'm going to serve you because I want to be like Jesus. That's what it means. And that's what it's about. So grace is a gift that motivates you to move forward in a different direction, to live in a different way, to, to have a heart that cares about people and, and, and their needs and what they need to know. And that's what it's talking about here. There's no boasting in that. But you cannot deny that God called us to do things for His sake. He called us to honor Him and to, to love Him and to care about Him. Look at Titus uh, chapter 3 and verse 8. It says this, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Faithful saying, affirm these things. Live these things, in other words. Make this part of you. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. In other words, do things to help other men and women to know that people care about them. You know, Monday, we had a funeral here at the church. And, and a young man had forgotten that people cared about him. He just forgot. He forgot. There's a hundred people that would have done anything if he would have called, but he didn't. He forgot. You see? Let, let's help people remember that, that they're people that care. And then we go on, and it's in the, in, here in Titus in the same chapter, and we're going to look at, at uh, verse uh, 14, I believe it is. It says, uh, and, let, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. When we become a Christian, our life doesn't just stop. Sometimes I, I wonder if we think like that. When we become a Christian, our life begins. And, and our whole goal in life, our whole purpose is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And, and here in Titus it says, don't be unfruitful, but to bear king, uh, fruit for the kingdom of God. To, to do good things. Now, if you don't think we're supposed to do good things, I'm going to use one more example. And I'd ask you this question, did Jesus do any good things in his life? <laughs> yeah, can you think of a few good things that, that Jesus did? I think we can. In, in Luke chapter 4, it says this, and starting in verse 18, and this is Jesus talking. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And if you think about those things, those are things that we can do, maybe not in the same exact way that Jesus accomplished them, but we can reach out to somebody who's poor in spirit. We can preach the truth to them. We can heal a broken heart by sharing the truth about God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can help somebody to see when they're in the midst of darkness, to see light, to see the love of God. We're called to do that. We're called to do the work of our master. And we're not greater than our master. We're to be his slave. Not because we're compelled to be, but because we've chosen to be. And so we emulate our master. To liberate the oppressed, those oppressed by sin, that are lost and are hurting. How are they going to know if you don't go? How are they going to hear if you don't speak? See, we're called to do that, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. To serve Him and to obey Him. In John 14 and verse 12, it says something very powerful. It says, most of speaking to His disciples, which we are, by the way, <laughs> most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. We're to do the work of Jesus. We're to serve him. And so we can't get twisted up about this. We have a purpose, and we have a call to serve God. And you know, if you're doing things that are good, and they don't have anything to do with Jesus, they really are kind, and they are benevolent, but the final outcome makes no difference in the sense of eternity. We have to do things because Jesus told us to do them those, that way. In the book of Ecclesiastes, don't read it when you're depressed, <laughs> but, but it, it talks about Solomon's struggle to find value in things, and he realized they didn't find it in his work, and he he didn't find it in, in living the party life. He didn't find it any other way. And so he comes to a conclusion at the very end of the book. And this is his conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Isn't that interesting? That's his conclusion. We come to the conclusion. It says so. Yeah. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Christians are called to do good because they love God. Christians are called to serve God, to bring honor to God, to praise God, to bring glory to God, to magnify God. All of these things are what we're called to do. What does it mean to magnify God? It means to make God visible. Think of that. What does a magnifying glass do? 
I'm a simple-minded guy. What does it mean to magnify God? Make Him visible. He lives in us, the Holy Spirit. And as we serve God, we make people understand that God's real. People see things and they, they think, well, I wish I felt like that. I wish I understood some of those things. I, that person seems to be able to deal with stuff. He needs to be able to do things that are necessary when it, it's hard. See, we learn from each other, and that's what we're called to do, to serve God, to honor God, to glorify God, to praise God. Your work means something when it's done for God. Let's stand. We're going to sing our invitations.